My name is Pastor Zach, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet. And uh, we do something every single February where we start a relationship series, and we always try to hit a range of topics. And what we did this year, which I always find it interesting to get y'all's feedback, to see kind of what you're dealing with, what you're struggling through in your own relationships. So we did kind of like a poll on Facebook, and we said, what are the top four things that you deal with in relationships. And the thing that I'm going to talk about this morning was the number one thing outside of communication, and it was trust. Um, we've never done this in a relationship series. We've been in church here for four years now, and uh, this is a topic that we haven't hit on in our relationship series. And so one of the things that I want to do this morning is kind of build a foundation for where God wants to take us on this journey. I really believe that we're going somewhere in this series, and I also believe this. Um, every I tell my wife this every year because every time we do a relationship series, to be honest with you, about two, three weeks before, I kind of dread it because it seems like the enemy always attacks our relationship. It's like, can we just not do this? Because we're always at a bad place in marriage whenever we do this series, just so the enemy can discourage me. And uh, But Thankfully, this year, it's a little bit different. But here's what I want to do this morning, because I genuinely, genuinely believe this. The last thing the enemy wants for you is for you to get healthy in your relationships. Because if you can get healthy in your marriage, you can be an unstoppable force. And the truth is, when you walk into something like this, I am absolutely confident that the enemy is already trying to beat you up with some things. So you're looking in your marriage, or you're looking in your single life, or maybe you're coming in here, you're like, oh, great, we're talking about marriage, we're talking about relationships, I've been divorced once or twice, like, what does this have to do with me? Um, The truth is, my prayer is that this would be something that would encourage you, and the enemy wouldn't use it to shame you or beat you up. Because how many of you know we're all flawed? (laughs) We all make mistakes, and relationships have the ability to bring us the most pain in our life, don't they? And so I want to pray before we dive into this, because I really believe that there's two forces at work here, that God really wants to do something fundamental in your life, and then I'm also confident that the enemy doesn't want you to hear anything that I have to say this morning, because if you can start applying some of these things, it will totally change your marriage. So let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for who you are. God, we're so thankful that we have an opportunity today to dive into your word so that you can speak directly to our marriages, so that you can speak to our relationships, whatever our status is. God, I pray that you would move on our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're we're calling this series Relationship Goals, and uh, it's one of the most, like, search hashtag on Instagram or Facebook. People always, they'll see a couple on social media, and they'll comment, like, relationship goals. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, we want to look like this. And how many know most of that's, like, fabricated? They pay people to look really beautiful online, and it's not really real. You know that, right? Um, But we all have this idea of where we want to be in our life. We have this idea of what we want our marriage to look like. Um, girls, you've been dreaming about this since you were three years old, right? You, you have this idea of what you want your wedding day to look like. And then finally, one day when you get married, you realize, oh my gosh, what I want costs about $100 million. <laughs> it's not going to happen, right? And reality starts to set in. And here's what happens if you're not careful. Reality sets in, life beats you up a little bit, and then you fall into this slump of like, our relationship just can never look like that. We're, we're never going to be that. That's never going to happen for us. Or maybe you dive into the first year of marriage and it's going great and then year two hits you and you're like, what happened? Right? My, my wife and I kind of lived in this honeymoon phase. We dated for a long time. 
And uh, I remember we were, we were joking about this last night. I remember sit, we were sitting on the couch last night. And I was like, do you remember like how young, and can I just say this, how stupid we were? Like I remember a conversation while we were engaged. We're like, man, people say marriage is so hard. Like we never fight. We never argue. Like I don't know what they're talking about. And then you get married and she's like, you leave your clothes on the floor? Do you know how many times I've fallen into the toilet seat at night? And then it, but then it goes into like really big things, right? Like you spent what? And you didn't tell me? Like I cannot believe you just spent that much. Do you know we have our mortgage to pay? Like, yeah, I wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> right? You start getting into some real issues. But here's the truth. When you start dealing with people, you start dealing with issues, right? And we dive into this marriage with this fantasy of like, you know, whenever we get married, everything's going to be perfect. The problem with that is is you take two imperfect people and you put them under one roof and it's a recipe for a disaster, right? So today what I want to talk about is what every relationship has to be built on and it's trust. Every fundamental strong marriage has to have a foundation of trust. Your relationships are no stronger than the amount that you trust the person sitting next to you, right? But the problem is many of us have had our trust broken, right? We, even in the context of our own marriage, and we don't know how to trust our own spouse based on things that have happened. How many of you have ever been dropped? <laughs> you had something, you thought that you trusted somebody, you thought that you could trust them, and all of a sudden you find out a year down the road that they're not who you thought that they were. We were on vacation. We, we take a vac- vacation every Christmas break. And uh, at the cabin that we were at, we had these, they had these stairs. And so my, all of my kids are at the top, and my wife and I are at the bottom. And I have some older, some older kids, and I said, hey, listen, Caroline is one years old. Make sure that you guys keep this door closed because if you don't, she's going to try to go down those stairs and fall down. The- Watch her. Can I trust you guys? Yes, you can trust us. Okay, so my wife and I are downstairs drinking coffee, and the next thing I hear is boom, 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 boom. Ah! I take off running. I find my one-year-old at the bottom of the stairs, and all I can think of, okay, hopefully nothing's broken. I pick her up. I look at her. She's fine, and then I'm thinking, I'm going to kill them. I am going to kill them. I run upstairs, and they're playing Xbox. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Zach, calm down. In, in, like, in my mind, I'm playing it out. Like, you, my little girl just tumbled down the stairs, and you two are about to die, <laughs> you know? And so the rest of the week, what happened? They broke. Did they watch her the rest of the week? No. Why? Because I didn't trust them. I didn't trust them to keep their focus on her. They broke my trust. Now, that's a silly example, but the truth is that's how many of us go into relationships, somebody, one spouse at one time or another broke our trust and we feel like now we can't enjoy the relationship. We have to constantly be on guard. We're constantly watching them. We walk into a room and you're like, did you just look at her? I swear to God, I didn't look at her. But who are you texting now? Who are you calling now? And all of a sudden you can't trust them anymore and you can't trust the relationship. You see this all throughout the scriptures. You see that Joseph had people in his life break his trust. Think about it. His brothers that loved him betrayed him. Hey, we love you, but hey, guess what? We're going to drop you in a hole and throw you into slavery. 
Then he finally kind of builds himself out of that. He gets himself a seat in Potiphar's house. And what happens? Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him and says, you were trying to make a move on me. His trust gets broken again. You look at David. His own dad, remember when, when, when they came to anoint, they're trying to find a king. Saul had been removed from God's glory. He tells Samuel, go out and anoint a king, find one. And they go to Jesse and they say, hey, are these all the boys that you have? Because I don't think any of them. He goes, well, I have one son, but he's not really worth that much. He's out tending sheep. Bring him to me. Think about it then with David. His king betrays his trust. His son eventually betrays his trust. Absalom tries to take over his throne. Then think about it with Jesus. Judas and Peter betray his trust. I want to read a story to you in 2 Samuel 4.4. And it's an interesting passage because this is where you see somebody's trust just so shattered. Watch it right here. Saul's son, Jonathan, had been named Mephibosheth. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. His grandfather and his father, both taken away, died. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, watch this, she dropped him and he became crippled. She dropped him and he became crippled. Crippled. So here's what I want you to understand. People have trust issues not because they're cynical, but because they've been dropped. Think about it. In one moment, he loses his grandfather, his father, and his legs. That's not fair, is it? You look at it like, man, that's a pretty bad deal of cards. He, watch this, he paid the price for somebody else's mistake. He paid the price for somebody else's mistake. In one moment, his whole life was changed. Now, let's bring that into the context of relationships and marriage. Somebody you trust dropped you. Somebody you confided in dropped you. Somebody said they're going to do something and they didn't do it. Or they didn't follow through. They didn't keep their promise. Maybe your teenager made some really bad or stupid choices and now you don't trust them anymore. Maybe your boss promised you a promotion. Hey, if you just keep working hard at it, next year you're going to be here and he didn't deliver on that. Or maybe you discover that your spouse was looking at pornography or cheating on you and all of a sudden you feel like, I can't trust this person. Or let's get real honest. Maybe God didn't come through for you and you feel like you can't trust God anymore truth is maybe some of you were dropped and you weren't paralyzed you didn't lose your legs but now you're injured and you walk in life with a limp (laughs) so you walk around constantly on guard you got back up again but you have something called limping trust it's kind of like okay i have to constantly be aware of my surroundings i have to constantly be on watch with my spouse You even see this in culture, right? We've created this entire culture. We no longer trust the police. We no longer trust doctors. We no longer trust the government. We no longer trust the church. We don't trust anybody anymore, right? So what do you do when the people you trust drop you? Because this this problem has to be solved. Because if not, your relationship is being built on a shaky foundation, And you'll never be able to enjoy the intimacy that is supposed to come in marriage because you don't trust the other person. 
The truth is, when you don't trust somebody, when trust is broken, there's a gap between expectations and what we actually experience. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. When there is a gap, you choose what goes in that gap. When somebody has broken your trust, you choose what goes in that gap. Are you going to fill it with bitterness? Are you going to fill it with hate? Are you going to fill it with disbelief? Are you going to say, this hurts? I don't know what we're going to do, but we have to move on to figure out how we can trust each other again. So I want to help you with that. I got three, th- four things for you this morning that can help you rebuild trust, regain trust. Show of hands in here. How many of you have ever had your trust broken? How many of you have ever been the one that has broken somebody's trust? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I have. I've told my wife that I'm going to do things. I've broken her trust. The truth is, when you are the one that breaks trust, or even if you were the one that had the trust broken, listen to me. Number one, choose feeling over faking. Choose feeling over faking. How many of you guys know we're really good at faking things? We do this in church every single Sunday, right? You just got in this massive blow up in the car, and then you walk in the church, you're like, hi. <laughs> How are you? I am awesome. And you're squeezing your spouse's hand. I swear to God, if you say anything, I'll kill you. (laughs) Right? We're really good at faking things, but we're not good at feeling things. Proverbs puts it like this, 25, uh, 28. Like an open city with no defenses is the man with no check on his feelings. Listen to this. Like an open city with no defenses is the man with no check on his feelings. So here's what you have to understand. When somebody has broken your trust, you have to start with your feelings. Here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm at. Here's how you've hurt me, so here's where I'm at. I'm angry. Let them know. Let them know that you're angry. Let them know I am hurt. I'm scared, and I'm in shock, and I don't know what this is going to look like. How you handle your emotions will make or break you. See, we're not really good at this doing this with our spouse because most of us don't like confrontation and we don't like to rock the boat, so we just choose to fake it. We buy into this motto that I'm gonna fake it until I make it. How many of you know that just crushes you inside? You can't ignore the warning lights going off in your relationship, especially with your feelings when you start feeling things. I I remember um, it was about, it was probably about, 14 years ago now, it was my first year of college. My dad had said, he said, listen, son, if you can save $2,000, I'll help you buy your first car. So it took me a little while. I saved $2,000. Go on down to the dealership, and I found this 1986 Nissan 240SX. It was this cool little sports car. It only had 40,000 miles on it. Awesome car. I was like, this is what I want. You know, when you're 18, you got to look cool, you know. So I buy this car. And my dad, I remember, because he knows me, he said, listen, son, just with a car like this, make sure you do the routine maintenance on it. And for about a year and a half, this little check engine light on my dash was blinking. And I was just like, eh, I'll get to it when I get to it. The first, the first date I ever took my wife on was in that car. We're driving down I-10. We were living in Jennings at the time. We're driving to Lafayette. I look at my hood. And my wife goes, do you smell that? Fire. <laughs> coming out from underneath my car. First date, I've I've opened the hood and there's a fire going on in my car. I'm like, oh my God. 
I never changed the oil once. Never. That'll do it. That'll burn your car up. The truth is that's what most of us do in our relationships, though. We have the warning signs going off, this anger that you're feeling inside, this coldness toward your spouse. Your spouse can look at you and say, hey, you know, you, you want to have some fun tonight? You're like, nope, not at all. <laughs> it, you start getting cold towards each other. And listen, if you ignore those warning signs, you allow bitterness to start seeping in. And all of a sudden, you're moving towards this place where you cannot trust that person anymore. You have to be honest with your spouse and with God how you're feeling. The truth is, though, the reason why people live in pain for so long, because hard work is hard work, isn't it? <laughs> like diving into the issues of a relation, it's just hard. It's not, it doesn't feel good. It's not comfortable. The truth is, though, the most intimate times that my wife and I have ever had together and the best times that we've had together is coming out of a season of working through really hard stuff, of having some conversations like, man, when you say that to me, it makes me really angry. Or when you did that, it, it broke some trust, and we got to learn how we're going to repair that. The truth is, it's hard working with people. People can just be difficult. And if you've had your trust broken for so long, here's what ends up happening in your life. And this is the danger. If you ignore the warning signs, you eventually dive over to this side where you're like, I don't need people. I don't need people. I don't need relationships. I'm just, I'm going to do me. The problem is you become a shell of a person that ignores your feelings. And so this leads you to anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression is a suppression of all these different feelings that you're feeling. And it leads you to this place of finally where there's so much things going on that you've suppressed and that you've ignored, it just leads you in a state of depression. And you don't know why. Because you've been suppressing for so long. The second thing that you have to do, choose forgiveness over bitterness. Choose forgiveness over bitterness. Our relationship with people, listen to me, is inseparable from our relationship with God. You can't have a healthy marriage if you don't have a healthy marriage with Jesus. It starts vertical and then it goes horizontal. I tell, I tell this to couples all the time when they sit down in Claire and I's office and they're like, man, I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know what we're going to do. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Tell me about your, what does that look like? Are you taking time to take care of yourself? Because if you're, listen, if you personally, if you're not healthy, your marriage is just not going to be healthy. You can't do it. You can read all the books that you, you want to read. You can listen to all the marriage sermons. Just, you can listen to all the experts and the gurus. If you are not healthy spiritually, your relationship is not going to be healthy. The horizontal will determine the vertical. How you spend time with Jesus is going to influence how you connect and relate with your spouse. Hebrews 12, 15 puts it this way. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. See, bitterness is when your spirit gets stuck in a state of pain and you don't know how to deal with it. So you just stay there. And all of a sudden, when your, your spouse walks into the room, what, you, don't, you don't feel love for them. You feel like, I, I feel like they did something that they're not telling me. Or I feel like I gotta be on my guard or my defenses. And the truth is, Satan loves a bitter believer. <laughs> he loves a bitter believer because a bitter believer never gets to the freedom that God has for you. He never gets to the place of enjoying his relationship with Jesus and enjoying his spouse or her spouse. 
Now, the problem and the reason that people remain bitter is because to dig up the root of bitterness, you have to do it with a shovel, not a backhoe. Some, some of us just want to bulldoze, like, all right, let's just deal. Well, tell me, woman, what's the problem? We'll deal with it, right? And it's slow, hard work. The way that you dig up a boot, uh, the, the root of bitterness is God saying, here's some gloves and a shovel, start digging. And we want it to be like that. We want it to like, okay, look, I know I broke your trust, but come on, I'm never going to do that again, right? And God's saying, no, 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 this is going to be hard work. Now, let me give you a little disclaimer here. Because I know what some of you are thinking, like, well, hold on. How do I forgive the person that has greatly broken my trust? Here's what I want you to understand. Forgiveness is not trust. We are commanded to forgive, but we are not commanded to trust. Forgiveness is instant. Trust is not. Forgiveness is based on grace. Trust is built on works. Let me explain. You don't earn forgiveness, but you do earn trust. God, like, if you've blown it, here's the good news. God forgives you. But it doesn't mean that your spouse is going to trust you instantly. you got to work on that. So here's what that looks like. It means you repent. If you've done something to break that trust in that relationship, there's, there's, there's repentance. And then you move to transparency. Here's everything that I've done. If you want real trust, if you've blown it, here's what you got to do. you got to be able to lay all your cards on the table and leave out no detail. Here's where I'm at. This is what happened. This is what led me to this place. You're completely transparent. And then you move to a place of consistency. When you said that I'm going to keep doing it, I'm going to keep doing it, and I'm going to show you that I'm going to keep doing it. And then it takes time, and then you can get back to trust. So to repent means to to change your behavior. Now, if you want to earn trust, you have to base your reality on transparency, not just honesty. So meaning this. Before your spouse even asks you what you did, you tell them. Not like, not waiting, hey, where, where were you last night? And then you just, well, here's where I was at and here's what I was doing. And you give them an honest answer. When you realize that you've blown it, you walk in and you go, oh my gosh, I've blown it. I need to admit that to them. I got to come forward. Here's what I did. Before they interrogate you, before they ask you, before they even ever say anything, you admit what you've done. That's how you build trust back. I love what Henry Cloud says. He he says it this way. Trust is like a brick wall. It must be constructed brick by brick. If it is breached and comes crashing down, it has to be built brick by brick. Listen, if you've grown trust, you don't earn it back like this. It's going to take time. You can forgive that person because God forgives you, but it's going to take time for you to trust that person again. Mark 11, 25 puts it this way. When you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. So God does command us to forgive them so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins also. Here's what I want you to understand. This is huge. God can only let go what he has for you when you let go what is hindering you. He can only give what he has for you when you let go of what's hindering you. So for some of you, that means that maybe today you got to admit some things. And that's going to be hard, and it could shift the foundations of your marriage. It's hard to be honest with our spouse about some of the things of our past, or the things that we regret, or the things that we feel like we've moved on from, isn't it? It's difficult. I remember when when my wife and I first got married, I, I had to make a decision to be honest with her about some things. 
Because I was like, man, I don't want to get 10 years down the road and then she finds this out from somebody else. So a year and I'm, I'm honest. I said, look, this is what happened. This is what went on. We need to move on. And, and I thought like, okay, I, she's going to be appreciative that I'm being transparent and honest. It shook everything, right? And I had to walk through this season of like building this back. You know what credit card companies hate the most? Those who pay it off every month. <laughs> Why? Because they don't earn any compound interest on you. Right? It's the same with forgiveness. You have to zero it out every single day. If you're not working with that person every single day to rebuild trust, here's what's happening. It's gaining compound interest in your relationship. And it's, it's starting to smolder, right? There's never a time in your life where you look more like Jesus when you forgive people that have hurt you. There's never a time in your life when you look more like Jesus when you can forgive people that have hurt you. Now, this leads me to point three. If you are the one that has had the trust broken, this is gonna be the most difficult thing for you right here. To trust somebody again. Number three, choose trust over suspicion. This is hard. Choose trust over suspicion. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, we say this at every wedding, right? It Love always protects, always, what? Trusts. But God, you don't understand. No, no, love always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Listen to what the Amplified Version says. Love bears all things. Watch this. Regardless of what comes, it believes all things, looking for the best in each one. Hopes all things, remains steadfast during difficult times. It endures all things without weakening. So here's what this means. Love is looking for an opportunity to believe the best rather than believe the worst. Here's what my wife and I, one of the greatest lessons that we've learned in the context of our own marriage is to give each other the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna choose to trust you first rather than be suspicious about your actions. I'm going to choose to lean in. I'm going to choose to believe you because I know deep down you have my best interests. If you're not careful and you choose suspicion over trust first, his, his, suspicion is actually a, a kind of communicating to your spouse that you reject them. So you start asking, why are you sitting next to her? <laughs> why did you text him? Why, why didn't you tell me about that? You know what we do in relationships when we feel rejected? We shut down. We shut down. If you feel like your spouse is constantly interrogating you, there's no intimacy there. There's not. It's a powerful thing to look at somebody and say this, especially if your trust has been broken. What can we do so that I can trust you again? Rather than just constantly darting them with, where were you? What did you do last night? Why did you sit next to her? Who did you text? No, no, you just open this up for dialogue. I don't trust you, so you're honest with your feelings. I don't trust you, but what can we do so that I can trust you again? And can, be, can I be honest with you? If you are the one that's broken trust and your spouse is trying to earn that trust back from you, you have to be willing to subject yourself to whatever means they feel like they need you to trust them. If you've been unfaithful, here's, here's what this means. If they feel like I don't want you to have a smartphone, guess what, you give up your phone. If they don't want you to be on Facebook because they feel like it's going to be a temptation, you give up Facebook. 
Here's the truth. If you're not willing to do whatever it takes to get trust back, they'll never trust you again. Ever. Ever. In the very beginning of my marriage, I had to do one of the hardest things. In the very beginning, I just was not good with money. My, my wife is like, she can budget. She's good down to the penny. She can save money. I'm like, free spirit. We make money. Let's buy stuff, okay? In the beginning, and it got me in a whole lot of trouble. Where she would look at our bank account and go, oh my God, why in the world did you just do that? And it started creating a lot of tension in our marriage. How many finances has ever caused you to have the biggest argument of your life, right? And it finally got to this place where my wife is like, I don't trust you. I just don't trust you with money. I remember that hurt me for a little bit. Then I was just like, eh, I don't care. <laughs> but it got to a point where it was such a big issue. Here's what I had to do. And this was the hardest thing for me. For a year, I had to surrender my debit card to her. I said, you just control it all. I won't even have it. In order for me to earn her trust back, I had to do something like crazy to get it back. Listen, if you've been unfaithful, if you've broken trust, if you've done things that you never thought that you would do, trust can be earned back and your relationship can still be redeemed. That's the good news. It doesn't have to end there, but you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. And sometimes it's subjecting yourself to doing things that you don't wanna do. Number four, last one, choose healing over hurting. Darius Daniel puts it this way, and I've said this before, but this is such a powerful statement. He says, you can live with scars, but you can't live with wounds. You can live with scars, but you can't live with wounds. If your trust has been broken, that wound can be healed, and it can be turned into a scar, and it can be a testimony one day to say, this is what God did in our relationship, and we made it on the other side. But if you live with an open wound and it's never dealt with, you can't live with it. Eventually, it'll kill you. Eventually, it'll kill the marriage. Eventually, it'll kill the relationship. Jeremiah 6.14 puts it this way. You can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. <laughs> you can't heal a wound by just saying, oh, yeah, I'm not hurt. You see this on social media all the time. You have a bad breakup with somebody, and then the, the girl will post like, oh, I didn't need him anyway. I'm not even affected by it. You are a liar. <laughs> You're just trying to come off with this hard shell exterior, like, I'm okay, I don't need anybody, right? Some of you just have to admit to yourself, I have a hard time trusting people. Why? Because you've been dropped. You guys remember that old game we used to play? It's like, hey, okay, close your eyes. I'm going to be right behind you and fall. I'm going to catch you, I promise. And every now and then, somebody will be like, <laughs> Right? So it's getting back to that place with your spouse where they can say, hey, look, I got your back. You can fall and I'll catch you. And the only way that you're going to get there is you have to choose healing over hurting. Time can rebuild, but time cannot heal. Only Jesus can. Time will rebuild some things, but it will not heal you. It will not make your relationship better. Actually, it'll make you more bitter. <laughs> But the good news, if you put your faith and your hope in Jesus and you say, let's start admitting where we're at, let's start dealing with some real things of where we're at and what we're facing and what we're walking through, and you allow Jesus to heal you, listen to what the scriptures say. Psalms 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. James 5.16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, what? So that you may be healed. 
The confession may be difficult. The transparency may be hard, but you have to understand that on the other side of that is healing. On the other side of the confession, on the other side of like maybe the year of working through and dealing with hard things in your relationship, that you get healing and you get a more intimate relationship. Genesis 50, 20 says, and you intended evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to make it as it is this day to keep a great many people alive. Listen, I'll close with this. You may see things in your marriage that just seem so discouraging. How are we ever going to get over this? It seems like an unclimbable mountain, especially if trust has been broken. Like, how am I going to trust this person again? How are we going to make this work? Can I tell you one of the greatest joys that I get as a pastor is to sit with so many married couples and then sit in our office and go, it's over, Zach. It's, it's done. Like, we are finished. And to be able to say, hey, look, would you just give this six months? Can we just dive into this? Because it is over and it is finished if you keep going like you're going. And you try to do it on your own. Try to say, we don't need people speaking into our Listen, how many of you have only, t- how many of you guys 30 years and, and younger? Anybody in here 30, 35 and younger? You need older people in your life. Because I'll, I'll tell you this, if you've been married five, six years, you know nothing. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'm not saying that sarcastically. It hasn't even started yet for you. Psychologists actually believe that you don't really know the person that you're married to until you've been married for at least seven years. They say if most couples can make it past seven years, most divorces happen within between year one and year six. So if you can make it seven years, it says at year seven, that's usually like ground zero. You start to really get to know that person. That's when they make a little snarky comment, you know what they're really feeling. You know what they're thinking. You know, like when their face turns a certain way, you're like, oh, he's mad. (laughs) Or when you walk into the room and you see the look and you're like, all right, kids, let's go in the other room. Mom is angry right now. You start to really get to know that person. So I just want to encourage you one thing. If you're married, listen, the greatest way that the enemy wants to discourage you right now is attacking your marriage. If he can get you there, he can get you pretty much in every other place. But what would it be like if we took a stand, especially when you look at culture today, where there is an attack on marriage, right? There's an attack on unity and foundation and family. Because the greatest thing in the world that you can do for yourself, your kids, the next generation, is to love your spouse well. To love Jesus well and love your spouse well. I, pr- I promise you this, and this may sound like I'm coming from a different angle and I'm being um, like I'm I'm tearing it down. I'm not. But my wife and I made a commitment. We are not going to spend our life revolving around our children. Just not. I love my kids to death. I would do anything for them, but my life does not revolve around them. If your life revolves around your kids and your kids are your life, what happens when they move out? And it's just you and your spouse for the rest of your life. And then you realize, oh, we we have nothing in common. 
because our life was revolved around our children, every ball game, everything. We did everything for our kids. The best thing you can do for your kids is kiss your spouse in front of them. Love them, encourage them. I grab my wife's butt in front of my kids. I don't care. Why? Because I, I am intentionally trying to build a foundation in them that, that dad loves your mom no matter what. I'm sticking with her. I'm sticking with her. So I just want to pray over marriages today because there's an attack to break trust. But listen, this is not to shame anybody in here who has been the one that has broken the trust because I'm right there with you. This is to say there's, there's hope on the other side of it. And don't let the pain that you're experiencing now say, oh, it's over. We can't work through this. No. If you work through that, if you feel those things, you acknowledge those things, allow God to speak to those things, on the other side of all that pain is trust and healing and freedom. And is a better marriage, is a better relationship. 